My name is Joel Renner, and I want to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment on this video as you watch it so more people can see this teaching. Welcome to Home Group. This is Wednesday night, and tonight we're going to continue talking about do you want to be healed? I'm really using my study guide from a series that I taught. The subtitle says principles to help you receive your healing or minister healing to others. Maybe you don't need to be healed. Maybe God wants to use you to bring healing to somebody else. You need to know how to minister to them. Tonight, we're going to keep talking about how to minister to the people and how to diagnose their condition so you'll know how to pray. But I'm here with Paul Renner and Joel Renner. Hey guys. It's, it's so good to be with you guys. But I want to say something about that study guide. Yes, sir. Sometimes you really do need a teaching about your healing to receive a teaching. A lot of times people want to be healed, but they don't know how to do that. Yes. They don't know true. how to believe. They that's don't know what the Bible says. They don't know that by his stripes we are healed. And sometimes people just become so accustomed to their sickness that they never even think about the need to be they don't even think about healing. Mm -hmm. They've just been sick for so long and they've lived with their medication. You don't have to live with medication. You can be healed. Now, I'm not telling you what to do with your medication, but I'm telling you Jesus Christ is a healer. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hey, Paul. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the home group. I'm glad that we can be here together. If you have not subscribed, please subscribe. If you have not liked this page, please like this page. And if you've never visited renner.org, please visit renner.org because there's a lot more for you there than perhaps if you're watching this somewhere in the huge internet. But wilt thou be behold? It's a big question. It really is. I was speaking to a woman once in church. It was in between services and uh, we were speaking about something demonic going on in her life. And as we were talking, I got the feeling that she was grabbing for attention and that she actually did not want to be made whole. And during the conversation, I said, wait a minute, can I ask you, do you enjoy this? And further in the conversation, she actually said, actually, I do enjoy it. So do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? She says, I do. I said, but you enjoy this. If, if you want to be healed, you must repent from enjoying it. Yeah, that's right. And that's kind of where the conversation ended. It was rather disappointing because she really did not want to be healed. She wanted attention. She wanted, she enjoyed what was going on with her up until a certain point. And I was unable to help her because she, she didn't really want to be, want to be healed. Yes. Well, you know, when you come to John chapter 5, Jesus walked into the pool of Bethesda and everybody was laying around the water waiting for the moving of the water. It was a moment and a place that God created where people's faith could be released. And I just want to say something about church. Uh, and Paul, you know, you and I work together in the same church here in Moscow. I think that we waste an opportunity. I think every church wastes a marvelous opportunity. And let me explain. Many years ago, between 1973 and the death of Catherine Kuhlman, I attended three Catherine Kuhlman meetings. Now, I'm telling you, that woman knew how to stir the waters. She knew how to stir faith. Now, there are all these people sitting there waiting for Catherine Kuhlman's meetings to begin, and they sat there for hours, hours. They came, 50 buses, 100 buses, I mean, critically ill people, the whole back half of the bottom floor filled with people on stretchers with IVs and wheelchairs and doctors and nurses 
critically, critically ill people. I was in the choir in two of those services. And guess what they would do during those services? While people were waiting for the service to start, rather than just sit around and waste time and just talk to each other, which I think we do in most of our churches, waiting for the church to start, ushers walked through the crowds with little testimony books that they sold, I believe, for one dollar. And they were all testimonies of people who had come to a Catherine Kuhlman miracle service. Wow. And they had been healed. So rather than just wasting time sitting around, people all over the auditorium were reading these stories about people who had come for a miracle and had received it. And do you know by the time the music started... They already had faith. Faith. In fact, before the worship ever began in those meetings... The announcer would say, I just want to say miracles have already started. And they would begin to tell what miracles had occurred waiting for the service to begin because Catherine Kuhlman wisely used that time to stir the waters. Mm. And people's faith would rise before she ever stepped on the stage. Wow. They would read those little books and say, hey, I have that. I have that. I, hey, I, that can happen to me. Faith would begin to rise. The water would begin to be stirred, and people would release their faith. And I think that every pastor, including me, including you, we could better use pre-service moments to help stir the water for people's faith to rise. Mm. Amen? Amen. But hey, let's go back to our text. Joe, would you read? Let's begin in John chapter 5, verse 1, and tell us what verse you're reading. Okay, John chapter 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Verse 3. In those lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the water, the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down, at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole for whatever sort of disease he had. Verse 5. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Verse 6. When Jesus, was, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been, been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Let's stop there. When Jesus came into that place, now, for him to get to this man, Jesus had to step over other people because they were packed in there like sardines in a can. But when Jesus' eyes scanned that room, he saw the one who was ready. He could see it. And Jesus can see the one that is ready. And we don't have any record of Jesus healing anyone else in that room. There's no record he touched anybody else in that room. He had to step over sick people to get to this one. And you say that there were like sardines in a can because in verse 3 it says great multitude. Oh yeah, they were packed in there. It would have been enough just to say a multitude. But it said great multitude, meaning a lot of a lot of people. And the Bible says Jesus saw him lie. Which means before Jesus ministered to him, first Jesus inwardly diagnosed his condition. And I said this last night, that when you minister to people, you have to really diagnose what is their condition. Very often the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus was all the time looking deeper than what he could see on the surface. And Jesus could see this man inwardly was laying down and he had nearly given up. And the Bible says when he saw him lie... 
and knew that he had been now a long time, the word chronos, chronically in that case, Jesus said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou in Greek means what is your intention? I think this is so interesting because here's Jesus walks in a room, packed, everyone's on the floor. Jesus is trying to find a way how to get to this person. Or all these people are making room for him. Yeah. And so people are scrunching, getting all these corners, watching this person walk through this packed room. He walks up to a man that he sees. And I don't think Jesus whispered, you know. No, of course not. This was like a public counseling. I mean, Jesus probably just spoke right to him and that person answered him and it was a whole dialogue. The whole room could hear what's going on. And when Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole, the word whole is the word hugies in Greek. It's where you get the word for hygiene. But in Greek, it means, do you want your life back? It's a picture of full restoration. Well, it's a good question to ask because the man's been there 38 years. He's lived on Social Security or he's lived on welfare. Imagine the kind of mentality this man had. <laughs> he's been there for 38 years. They would have had their own microeconomy. He would have had seniority in that area. He and, probably would have been the somebody. And you know what? His infirmity became his identity. What do I mean by that? He thought like an infirmed person. He was an infirmed person. All of his friends were infirmed people. What do you think they talked about every morning when they woke up? How was your bowel movement? I was going to say your grandmother. I was always thinking my grandmother Bagley. How do you feel? Where do you hurt today? Their conversation was infirmed. They thought like infirmed. Their whole life was built around their infirmity, and they all depended on somebody else to take care of them. And you know what? I bet in a certain way they had a sense of entitlement that somebody should take care of them. Like society should take care of me. Yes. I can't take care of myself. Right. This man Jesus spoke to, his friends might have been like, hey, Jesus, can't you see that he's sick? Why do you think, why are you asking these strange Well, questions? they thought that he was rude. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. They thought Jesus was very abrupt. I can prove it to you. Like the sick people in the room were probably telling that to Jesus. But if Jesus is going to heal this man, the guy's going to have to get up. He can't stay there. If the man is healed and his friends are not healed, he's going to have to choose new friends. In fact, his old friends may resent him for being, for being different, for changing. When you change, you find out your friends don't always like it. Mm -hmm. They might want to pull you down. It means he's not going to depend on welfare to feed him. He's got to get a job, and he may not be able to get a job because he hadn't worked in 38 years. He may have to get some education. Everything is going to change in this man's life if Jesus gives him his life back again. This is always where you find out whether people are serious or not about changing. Well, go back to that life back again. In a sense, he had a life. He'd been there for 38 years. But it was an infirmed life. It was a crippled life. It was a crippled life, but it was... Dysfunctional. It was his life at that moment. Yeah. And Jesus was actually saying, do you want your life back? Do you want a better life? Do you want, to, do you want your dreams fulfilled? Do you want to regain your dreams? But you know, for him, healing would be a disruptor. It would totally disrupt what he had been in for 38 years. And people don't like to be disrupted. In fact, sometimes when people are printed, presented with the opportunity to change, the price tag attached to change can be so expensive that some people say, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm willing to do what's necessary to change. Maybe where I am is not the best place, but I don't know if I'm willing to do that. And a lot of people just decide to stay where they are. One thing's for sure, this guy was 38 years old, for sure. Well, he had been sick 38 years. 
He might have been 60. He might have been 40. He might have been. He might have been. He might have been, uh, you know, up in age, and he's been living with this for 38 years. But Joe, read the next verse, what the man said to him. Verse 7, the impotent man answered Jesus, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Let me read the next verse. Verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise up, take thy bed, and walk. Next. Verse 9, And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And, at the same, and on the same day was the Sabbath. But look where it says, The impotent man answered him. The word impotent, the Greek word asthenios, the man who had been robbed on every level. It means to be physically sick, frail, and to be financially broke. That is what sickness does to you. It just takes your health, takes your time, takes your money. This man that had been robbed on every level said unto him. Now look what he called Jesus. He said, Sir. That's what the King James Version says. In Greek it is the word kurie, which is a direct form of the word kurios. This is the whole secret to what happened in this chapter. It's the word Lord. Master, the one with absolute authority. When this man called Jesus, Sir, the Greek actually says, Lord, he was submitting to Jesus. This man was not going to walk out of there unless he was willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And likewise, if you're dealing with any infirmity in your soul or in your life, you will never change unless you recognize Jesus' authority to tell you what to do. Because as long as you think you're in charge, you're going to stay in your bed of affliction. This man called Jesus Lord, and that meant, I'm going to do anything you tell me to do. Tell me what to do. I will explicitly obey you. You've got to submit to the authority of Jesus and the Word of God if you're going to walk out of your affliction. That is absolute key here. So he said, Sir, but then notice he begins to speak nonsense. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Put me into the pool in Greek is the word bala, which means to throw. This is such a pitiful picture. I'm trying to get into the water. I'm laying here. I see the water stirred. I'm dragging myself to the edge, hoping that I'll be the first to plunk into the water this time. And just when I'm there, boom, someone is thrown over my head into the water. Splash. They get in before me. I don't have any man to pick me up and bala throw me over everybody else into the water. But while I'm coming... Another one always steps down in front of me. And there's something else here. Notice what he says. I have no man. That is exactly what people still say today. They say, you know, I would change if my spouse would change. If I just had somebody in my life that would change. I would change if I had somebody at that church who cared enough to call me. I have no man. I don't have anybody to help me. You know what? I'm not trying to ridicule you or put you down. It's very bad to be lonely. But you know what? Jesus didn't ask this man, do you have anybody to help you? Jesus didn't ask the man about any of the things that the man was saying. Jesus said, do you want your life back? And the man begins to go through this rigmarole, this big, long story. Jesus didn't ask this man any of those questions. Jesus said, do you want your life back? What are your intentions? The only thing the man did right was submit to the authority of Jesus, but then he began to speak nonsense, which is the same thing you hear in a lot of counseling sessions. When you say to people, do you want to change? And they say, well, you know what? I would change. 
that you just don't understand. I was beaten. I've been hurt. Those are all true things. But people begin to give long stories about why they can't change. They almost glorify their infirmity because then it gives them an excuse to be the way that they are. Some, sometimes testimonies. I love testimonies. I love testimonies. Some testimonies begin to glorify the problem That's and true. the reason that they didn't change for so many years more than the answer. And when we, we like to share testimonies in church, and when I speak to couples, uh, couples or people who share their testimony before church, I was like, and, and, and what happened? You know, enough about the problem. Where was the glory of God shown in your life? And so when you begin to share your testimony, make sure you give glory or give enough attention to the part that you're supposed to give attention to. Well, this is part of learning to minister to people. Very often in the altar of the church, after service, people come forward and they want prayer. And they just go on and on and on and on and on. It's exactly what you're saying. And I've learned through the years that sometimes you just have to interrupt them and say, what's the point? What do you need? And in this particular case, that's exactly what Jesus said. He be, actually was very abrupt. Look what it says. And the impotent man said unto him, Sir, really it's the word kurie, Lord. He submitted to Jesus' authority. I have no man where the water is troubled to put me into the pool, to hurl me over everybody else into the water. But while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. And now Jesus just interrupts his story. Jesus interrupts very abruptly. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus did not say, if you can possibly do it. He didn't even say, take my hand. He, he said, just said, rise. He just said, do it. And guess what? The word rise in Greek is the same word that shares the root with the word for resurrection. He just said, get up on your feet. It's very, very abrupt. Get up on your feet and take up your bed. And walk. And walk. Well, what do you think? All the other sick people around thought about that when Jesus said, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. I can almost hear the people around saying, who is this rude man telling him to pick up his bed and to stand up? Does he not see this is a crippled man? He is laying on that bed. How dare him talk to an infirmed man like that? Who is he to talk this way? That Jesus was breaking through the nonsense, reaching into that man's faith. And sometimes when you minister to people, you have to speak to them abruptly, and they will respond. They really will respond. So you kind of got to jar them. And now Jesus is jarring this man out of his misery, out of his self-pity, and Jesus says, rise. And he says, take up thy bed. Wait a minute. It's the equivalent of saying, pick up your infirmity. This man's been laying on this. Pick up the thing you've been laying on all these years and walk. And when you read the word walk in Greek, it is the word peripatia. A better translation would be get moving. Get moving. And like Joel said, Jesus didn't take him by the hand. Jesus didn't help him. Jesus just said, you want to be changed? Here it is. Get up. This is your moment. And the man responded. The man could have said, I can't. 
But he obeyed. You know why he obeyed? Because he called Jesus Lord. Lord, tell me what to do. I'll do anything you tell me to do. You say the word. Jesus said, rise up. So what did the man do? He got up. He got up. And notice what happened to him. And immediately the man was made whole. The Greek says, immediately the man got his life back. Took up his bed and did what? Walked. 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 The Greek says, peripateo picked up his bed and got moving. It means to walk around. Now the man is walking around. He's walking all over the place. (sighs) He must be walking over his friends because there's so many of them in the place. He's carrying his bed that he's been laying on for 38 years, stepping over his friends, walking around, walking around, walking around. And then the Holy Spirit adds these important words. And on the same day was the what? Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, why would the Holy Spirit tell us that, Paul? Because it was the wrong day to get take up your bed and walk. It was the wrong day to do any work because it was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. But before we get to the Sabbath, I, what, what, there's one more thing. His bed was saving his spot. If you've ever been on a beach and there's a lot of people around. Paul, that is excellent. His bed was saving his spot. He lost his spot. He was in line for his healing. He lost his spot. So when I read this, and I've always thought of this, never said it, but I've always thought of it this way, take up your bed and walk, he could have just got up and left. But then he would have had to come back for his stuff. That is so good. But Jesus says, get up, get your stuff, make room for someone else, leave. This is no longer your place anymore. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Wow. Okay, back to the Sabbath. Okay, he got up his bed and he walked in the same day was the Sabbath. Sabbath. Okay, on the Sabbath day... You're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to expend energy. You're only allowed to walk a Sabbath day's walk. That's why today if you go to Israel and you're there on a Sabbath, never get on the Sabbath day elevator. You listening to me? Because there is an elevator on the Sabbath that is pre-programmed to automatically stop at every single floor going up and every single floor going down because on the Sabbath day you're not supposed to work and pushing the button is too much work on the Sabbath day. So the program, the the elevators are pre-programmed. If you get stuck on the Sabbath day elevator, you're going to be riding the elevator a long time. They don't do any work on the Sabbath. Now here's this man, healed, You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath at all. In fact, even if your ox falls into a ditch, the religious people get upset if you help your your ox get out of the ditch. You're not supposed to do anything. And this man is not just walking, but he is carrying his bed. He's carrying his bed. You can't do that. It is the Sabbath. And he's only allowed to walk a Sabbath day's walk. But this man, Perry Patel, he's really moving. He's walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. And that is why the next verse goes on to say, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. It's the equivalent of them saying, Hey, This is not a good time for you to change. Get back on the bed. 
This is not a good day for you to change. Get back on the bed. Now I want to tell you, if you make a change in your life, if you decide to be made whole in any area of your life, everybody will not rejoice. Mm -hmm. You will run into a religious spirit. That's really what this was. It was a religious spirit. A religious spirit is resistant to change. And you'll find a religious spirit even in your unsaved family. Resistance. And when you begin to change, very often they say, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? Have you forgotten who you are and where you're from? Get back on that mat. You are one of us. Get back on that mat. How dare you say you're going to be different from the rest of us? There will always be forces that are resistant to change and try to get you back on your mat. Any comments, guys? I'm thinking about people who want to lose weight. And let's say it's your birthday and you're about to have cake and you're so excited, your whole family's about to have a party, but you need to lose weight. And, and the trainer walks in, he says, today's your lucky day, I'm going to help you. But that means you need to change your diet immediately. Well, that's not a convenient time to do anything. You really can't no, ask that not. person to start tomorrow. He's offering his help right now. And it sounds like the same thing. That, that, that person who needed healing that Jesus was speaking to couldn't have said, can you come back tomorrow? Jesus, could you come back when it's not Sabbath? <laughs> that, that would not have happened. But he obeyed, mm. and Jesus healed him. But notice how he answered people. The crippled man said to those who spoke to him, he answered them, he that made me whole. The Greek says, the one that gave my life back to me. The same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. And they asked him, what man is that that said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Then listen to this. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out in tomorrow night's home group. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him whole. But my friend, this man would have never been made whole if he hadn't said, Lord. He had to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And likewise, if you're going to be healed physically or emotionally or psychologically or maritally or in any area of your life, you have to say, Jesus, you're the Lord. I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'm having such a good time with you guys. By the way, we're speaking from the study guide called Do You Want to Be Healed? It comes with a whole series. It's on our website at renner.org. If you need prayer, please write to us or call us. We would love to pray for you. Guys, have you enjoyed tonight? Well, it's been a privilege to be with you, Father. We thank you in the name of Jesus that you're still asking us, wilt thou be made whole? And Lord, if we have any area of brokenness in our life, we want to say yes to you. And we just say, Jesus be Lord. You tell us what to do, we'll do it. We want to pick up any bed we've been laying on, any crutch, any excuse, Take mastery over it and walk. Get moving again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Wow, this has been so good. I can hardly wait to come back tomorrow night. We're going to pick up right here and find out what to do with religious folks and those who have resistance to change. It's going to be good. We're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, wasn't that a great teaching? My friends, I want to ask you to please like, subscribe, and comment on that video you just watched so more people can see it.